Well, good afternoon, Canadian Club members and guests. It is uh, great to see all of you. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed your meals, and certainly judging from the banter and the buzz I, I felt in the room, you were reconnecting with some old friends and, and also making uh, friends with uh, new ones as well. My name is Joseph Lowe, President of Canadian Club Toronto, and I am honoured to be your host today. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us online, thanks to the AV services of our partners at livemeeting.ca uh, and Van Valkenburg Communications. Our club has benefited from the season-long sponsorship of Canadian Bankers Association and Canada's Forest Trust, an ESG company planting smart forests. These relationships have allowed us to bring programming like today's to life while reducing the carbon footprint of our entire season of events. We're also most, uh, most appreciative uh, to the sponsorship of Air Canada, our official airline partner. With a spirit of leadership and learning central to our purpose, let me also welcome the students and young leaders joining us today from Toronto Metropolitan University. Welcome. It's great to have you amongst us. <laughs> Canada and the UAE are among the largest global energy producers and energy technology leaders in the world. How can this important bilateral relationship be further harnessed to address important issues, including climate change? What questions might you have for our panel today. I invite you to find the Q&A cards that you'll see at your tables, write on them and we will get them to our moderator. And if you're joining us online, you'll see the submit a question button on the right hand side of the screen. You can hit that and we'll get your questions that way as well. Now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our special guests of the day as well as our moderator. The Honorable Jean Charest. Jean Charest is CUBC co-chair and a partner at McCarthy Tetro with a public service career spanning almost three decades. He is one of Canada's best known political figures. As Quebec Premier, his government pushed ahead with major hydroelectric and wind power projects that maintain Quebec's position as the fourth biggest producer of clean and renewable hydroelectric power in the world, followed only uh, uh, after only China, Brazil, and the United States. Mr. Charest led numerous economic missions in emerging economies, including China, India, Russia, and Brazil. He has been a panelist at the World Economic Forum in Davos, including issues ranging from environment, climate change, and international trade, to also labor mobility. <laughs> Mr. Musabe Alkabi. Mr. Elkabi is CUBC co-chair and the executive director of Low Carbon Solutions and International Growth Directorate at the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, or ADNOC. This newly created business director is, directorate is focused on driving investments in new energies and low carbon solutions, as well as international growth in areas such as natural gas, LNG, and chemicals. Mr. Elkabi currently serves as chairman of the board of the Mubadala Energy and of Yasat. He also serves on the boards of a number of key organizations in the region, including Mastar, Tabreed, Emirates Global Aluminum, and First Abu Dhabi Bank. And of course, moderating our afternoon discussion is Sonia Verma, who joined Global News in 2020 as Editor-in-Chief. The award-winning and groundbreaking journalist returned from the Middle East to assume her current position. Sonia spent more than 12 years working and living abroad. Mr. Sheree, Mr. Alkabi, and Ms. Verma, I am pleased to present the Canadian Club Toronto Podium to you.
Well, thank you very much. It's so nice to see um, all of the faces in this room and some familiar faces as well. My former editor, John Stackhouse, is here uh, from the Globe and Mail, so I think he's, he's going to keep me honest in any case. <laughs> um, I also wanted to thank our panelists so much for joining us. I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful topic to, to delve into, and I know that you've been having a lot of interesting discussions these past days. Um, I lived in the UAE for three years, and actually my middle child was born there, so I do have a bit of a personal connection to, uh, to the country. And, you know, when we moved back, uh, I, really in all honesty, <laughs> when I was doing the sort of school drop-offs and pickups, my kids would be like, why is everyone so poorly dressed? You know, <laughs> or, you know, when we, we'd fly, uh, we'd fly, you know, uh, our sort of Air, Air Canada, and they say, you know, can't we go back to Etihad or Emirates, mom and dad? Yeah. Like, so much nicer. And uh, I think that they actually didn't realize that they, you know, when we, you fill up your car with gas, you have to pump the gas yourself and, yeah. and pay real money for it. So um, all of that was a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, so I wanted to, uh, I think, start by asking about, I think, the topic that everyone's been circling around uh, in some of your discussions this morning, which is the relationship itself and, and how it's, um, I'd say, really accelerated uh, in recent, uh, well, in recent years, I'd say. Um, so what, uh, what would you say is sort of behind the momentum? And I'll start. I'll start with you, Mr. Charret. You asked me to call you Jean. I cannot. Yep. So. <laughs> yes, my name is Jean. Okay, <laughs> Jean. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll start with you. What, what do you feel is behind the, the special momentum right now? Well, there's always circumstances, but the, the UAE leadership has been outstanding. In the, uh, in it, I presume it always was, but uh, I'm thinking of Fad, who arrived as ambassador from Mubadala, I was one of the first people to meet you at the time. I'd been, uh, he, he, he'd just finished puberty, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, we, understood, we understood very rapidly on the Canadian side that uh, him being designated to come to Canada was significant because it was about uh, trying to invest in the relationship in the long term, Musaba, and, uh, and there's a whole series of events. The World Fair, we were not signed up to it. We took it upon us to make sure Canada would be part of it, and we're successful in convincing the government to do it. By the way, jo Julian Ovens, who's with us today, was with Minister Champagne at the time, was one of the key people to help make that happen. The issue of visas, you'll remember, Musaba, there was a visa requirement for Emiratis coming to Canada that was dropped. And uh, for those of you, most of you are familiar with all of that, but you know, put yourself in the shoes of Emiratis, how significant it is if you drop a visa requirement, it is extremely significant. And uh, that was one of the things that we were successful at moving. The government uh, moved on. Uh, the issue of flights, uh, and now we've had, you know, and, and Emirates Air are delighted with that, flights out of Montreal, flights out of... And if there's any one thing in a relationship between two countries that can significantly change how that relationship will evolve is just put in regular flights. And the absence of them is, that is alone, that is one of the very significant things that, uh, and so <clears throat> we've had a, a good run and uh, the Emirates have been in a, in a, a very good place with a, a growing influence in the Gulf, which is a very tough neighborhood. I mean, we're under any illusions. This is a very complex, difficult neighborhood 
But if there's any country I see in the Gulf that we see that is going to be the go-to country, if you want to expand trade, if you want a presence in the, in the Gulf, the Emirates is it. And, uh, and, so th and the rest is Musaba. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting what you say about the flights. And we were chatting earlier and, and uh, remarking that there are 40,000 Canadians uh, currently that live in the UAE, which is a remarkable number, in fact. Um, from your perspective, what do you think is behind sort of the increased commercial activity uh, that we've, we've observed? Thank you, uh, first of all, for hosting me in this uh, prestigious event. I am truly blessed and uh, honored to be here today among friends. I see many familiar faces. Uh, I think the, when you look at the relationship, I recall 2018, early in 2018, you became the ambassador. I received a call from my boss at that time, and he said, you've been nominated as a co-chair of the Canada UAE Business Council. At that time, I haven't visited Canada yet. I said, why me? <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people in this. What, what did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I don't regret it. When I reflect back now, it's been one of the most rewarding experiences for me. I managed to see a significant improvement in the relationship between the two countries. I think that's anchored around probably key principles. When you look at the, what UAE is all about, we strongly believe in a progressive, dynamic future, a future where economic diversification is important, tolerance values that many Canadians in this room strongly believe in, like tolerance, women empowerment. We became known in the Middle East that we promote these values very strongly. So now when it comes to the business side, I think it's a natural you know, progression. Uh, the UAE, by the way, is a heavy investor in Canada. I think easily north of $20 billion worth of investments, be it uh, DB Ward, Taqa, Mubadala, and others. Sometimes we don't even count fund of funds or indirect fund investments. So a lot of uh, traffic between the, uh, the uh, in term of investments between the two uh, countries. I also, uh, to follow up on what John's uh, uh, highlighted, there were a few key milestones in the relationship. And I'm really glad. I remember last year, we worked with the embassies very closely. And uh, in some of the meetings, I kept reminding our colleagues in Canada is that UAE or Canada is the only country of the G20 with no daily flights to the UAE. So uh, thank God our, you know, our uh, efforts didn't go on waste. But the, the uh, UAE government working with the, with the Canadian government through the embassies, we managed to get the, uh, the uh, landing rights. So I see a very clear correlation between more traffic between the two countries and trade. And we've seen it with other countries, by the way. Canada is not an exception. Uh, on top of that, 40,000 Canadians live happily and happy in, in the UAE. Uh, so I've seen also just last year, Canada was number one in terms of FDI foreign direct investments in the UAE. With CDBQ, for example, investing $5 billion in DB Awards, we've seen the likes of Brookfield almost investing $5 billion in the UAE. 
We've seen the likes of Ontario teachers yep. investing in infrastructure projects in the UAE. So we became known as an attractive environment for you know, investments in that part of the world. And uh, we're glad also to consistently uh, scoring that we're you know, the, the uh, true trade partners of Canada in the, in the Middle East. Uh, and looking forward to, because looking forward to increase that uh, uh, tr trade balance. I think the businesses in UAE are also motivated to work with businesses here in Canada. And I see very similar agenda items. When you look at Canada and the UAE, we are blessed with natural resources. So Canada, you guys are under the impression that UAE produce more oil than Canada, but I can tell you, no. Canada is producing more oil, by the way. <laughs> I think uh, 3.7 million here in Canada, we're uh, around 3.2 million barrel of oil per day. And we both believe that oil and gas will play a role. It's a transition going forward. So there will be a, uh, a, a role for oil and gas, regardless of what the projection you see. By 2050, there will be a significant uh, energy supply coming from oil and gas. Our view is very, very simple. We think the oil and gas maintain a very high efficient source of energy. I think the emission is the issue. And that's where UAE and Canada could play a role in identifying the right technologies to mitigate uh, emissions and you know, keep that energy source as efficient as possible until we find you know, an alternative in the, in the far future. Ba based on math, physics, I think it will, it will remain in the, in the mix. So a lot of common, I would say, commercial and economic interests between the two countries. And uh, in this energy transition, I think there is there will be more opportunities to collaborate, especially in the technology side. Well, I'm glad you raised that because I did want to ask a little bit about energy transition itself and, and what each country has to learn from the other. So you focused, you mentioned a lot of sort of shared values, et cetera, but I think in the relationship, there's also learnings from both sides. So, uh, so Jean, maybe I'll, I'll ask you, first well, of all, what you feel. And, and you know, we're both middle power countries uh, in a very different environment than, than the other. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the Middle East is a whole other world, but one in which Canada has not had a strong a presence as we should. And, you know, one of the, I think, weaknesses, and I don't say this in a partisan way, but Canada and its deployment of foreign policy has not been active in parts of the world where we should have been consistently present. And so in the case of the UAE, and you look at the makeup of the economy, as Musaba has, has indicated, Energy is a big part of what their economy is about. So it is, and carbon for us. We're both facing the transition. And as we, we look ahead, and, and there's the COP28 that's gonna be happening end of November and December, which is going to be an extremely important uh, event for the world. Chaired by a country which produces carbon, chaired by someone who has been in the industry, poses a very real question by hosting the COP about what is the role of a country like Canada and a country like the UAE who produces carbon? And I'm of the school who believes we are not going to get to zero emissions in 2050 unless these countries and the companies involved are at the table. It's not going to happen. And they, uh, 
That's Jeff Steiner, who was the... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you applauded Jeff. Jeff, we mentioned the relation. Jeff was the person that was my predecessor yeah. and who did a lot of the legwork that uh, has built the relationship today. So thank you, uh, Jeff. So these, these are the things that we have in common. So as we enter into the COP, there's going to be uh, opportunities for us to work together on common projects, to share expertise. There's one very beautiful project that I, and I can talk about it freely, I'm not involved, the CHG project, which is a, a satellite company that has deployed nine satellites in the world that's objective is to identify methane emissions from the energy sector. And we're hoping that that'll be one of the common projects that we can develop with the UAE in Canada as we come out of this. We met this morning and I, with the uh, folks from the Ontario government, Minister uh, Todd Smith, Minister, uh, uh, was it Kapigi? And we were very impressed by what Ontario is doing now for critical minerals and the nuclear uh, space, where, which is of common interest. So the, here are things that we should be working on together. Thank you. And what about yourself? Talk, talk to us about some of the sort of concrete opportunities that, that you foresee um, around and, you know, energy transition, uh, climate well, action even. Let me uh, highlight quickly the history of the UAE in terms of embracing sustainability. We became the first company as ADNOC in the Middle East to embrace a new technology at that time called LNG, liquefied natural gas. It was a very nascent in 1973, by the way. We took that decision in 1973. We, uh, the project became operational in 1977. So it, it had, and it still has, in a positive impact in terms of reducing CO2 emission in the supply side and also in the demand side. So we partnered with Japan to supply them with LNG in 1977. So just think about the net, net impact of reducing the emission from uh, gas flaring at that time. By the way, in the 70s, it was very common for oil producers to flare gas. We decided early in our operation, no, that's not acceptable, and uh, we need to do something about it. We, by the way, at that time, we invited some of the uh, international energy companies, but uh, consistently we received one answer, no, it's not commercially viable. Yet, the leadership at that time and the company decided to go ahead because it's the right thing to do and to show strong commitment to the sustainability. Uh, we also were the first country in the Middle East. In 2006, we built or incubated a company called Master. Master is a renewable energy company platform in Abu Dhabi. Today, a capacity of 23 gigawatt. By 2030, we're going to 100 gigawatt. I remember in 2006, people were almost making jokes about Abu Dhabi building a renewable energy company, an oil producer country with no need for renewable, and you are blessed with natural gas, why would you go for uh, renewables? But again, it's a reflection of the confection of the leadership. They believe that the future should include renewables, should include fossil fuels like natural gas, and should include all sources of energy to, in order to maintain you know, the, the, the supply of the energy to the growing you know, global population and economies. We also embraced uh, nuclear and uh, to go back to net zero by 2050, yep. honestly and frankly, potentially almost scientifically, we don't see a possibility to net zero by 2050 without embracing nuclear, without embracing 
carbon capture. So I think the, these emerging technologies, not emerging, but nuclear has been around for a long time. These technologies are very important to achieve that and potentially accelerate it. So I th when, when it comes to the energy transition, it's very well known that we're gonna embrace as a UAE all sources of energy, uh, all sources of technologies to enable us to decarbonize our operation. Uh, we also were the first country in the Middle East to build a carbon capture facility in the, uh, in the region. Uh, we have a steel industry. We capture 800,000 ton per annum of CO2 and we inject it in the ground. And uh, that's probably the only steel facility globally with carbon capture uh, facility. We have a plan <coughs> to expand our carbon capture to around five, potentially eight million ton by 2030. And we are also focusing on na nature-based <coughs> solutions. So nature-based solutions, we're planting 100 million mangrove trees in the UAE. In a, in a time of, tw in a 25 years time, I think they have the capability to sink 30 million ton of CO2. Uh, so we're embracing the energy transition. We're walking the talk. We are demonstrating leadership in the region. And I, I am really excited also to see Canada's is, is approach is pragmatic like the UAE. I know that there are carbon capture projects in Saskatchewan. Yep. There are carbon capture projects in Alberta. And that's future proving your traditional business. So I think there is a lot of technologies we can probably uh, exchange notes and potentially build a business. Last but not least, we recently hosted the first climate tech forum in Abu Dhabi. It was unbelievable how many startup companies, technology companies showed up. And it is so important agenda that you see even nuclear fusion startup companies mm -hmm. coming and showing their case uh, they believe in a future where nuclear fusion, for example, will, will, uh, will play a role. So in a nutshell, I think, our approach is very simple, pragmatic, inclusive, all sources of energy will be required, and net zero is a challenge, but possible, but it will require a further collaboration, and it will be accelerated by partnership. Partnerships at G2G, like Canada and UAE, but also B2B, business to business. So I remain very confident when it comes to technology and the ability for us as humans to address a climate agenda and achieve an acceptable outcome uh, 2050 or potentially earlier. I've been in the industry, by the way, for 25 years. If there is one thing that never let me down is a technology. So I remain very optimistic. And uh, one example is the COVID. Look at the COVID. It was an, almost a global threat. Of course, it was a global threat. We came together in a matter of one year, we developed the right vaccine. Yeah. So I don't see climate issue is an exception. Let's not underestimate how powerful we as humans when we come together and when we address the, uh, the agenda and the challenge together. I remain optimistic and I hope you equally share that feeling with me. Can I just rapidly about yeah. Mazdar, which is the company founded by Adnoc, by Mubadala. Mubadala. Yes, said that. But it was, it, it was, was it not Al-Jabbar who was involved? Dr. Sultan was a founding 
uh, CEO of the company. And he's the one who's going to be running the COP. Yeah. It's in, I think you've invested in 40 countries, $30 billion. It's a huge amount. Yeah. So going to 100 giga. By the way, when you see the president of COP28 president-designate, his entire history is all about sustainability. Building a renewable yeah. energy company, being the special climate or climate special envoy to the UAE. He attended many COPs. It's only in the last five, six years he was given the responsibility to manage a traditional energy company like yeah. ADNOC with a clear mandate of transforming, decarbonizing, and future-proving the, the business. So I think that's, his track record is very well known. And, and climate change is such a serious issue that out of the 100 million mangrove tree, trees they're going to plant, a lot of them will be in northern Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> If we don't, if we don't get onto this issue very rapidly, all right. You have your own nature, nature based. Yeah, solution. we have our own trees. <laughs> Uh, I do remember being there, actually, I think when Mazdar launched for 2007 or 8, uh, you know, quite a while ago, but I remember uh, this, this, you know, when it started. We have some questions from the audience, and I'd encourage you to uh, fill out your form if you have something that you would like me to ask. Um, the first question that we have is, what impact are the Abraham Accords having on the region, and what should Canada be doing to take advantage of this new relationship? Look, it, the, the Abraham Accords, for those of you who are less familiar, is a, an accord that was negotiated between the Emirates and Israel, and a first in the region to which uh, subsequently uh, Bahrain joined, uh, Morocco, I think, yep. also joined. Yep. And uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, this is a very complex neighborhood. The Abraham Accords are extremely significant in terms of not just the diplomatic and people-to-people -people relationship, but also the commercial relationships within the whole Middle East, uh, and with Israel in particular. And when it was signed, I know that on the Canadian side, there was a lot of interest by Canadian businesses to be able to be part of this new dynamic that is developing and has developed between the UAE and Israel. Mm -hmm. Economic, tourist exchanges, it is, it is a game changer in terms of both the politics and the economy of the, of the Middle East. Yeah. I think when it comes to the uh, Abrahamic Accord, uh, again, it's uh, anchored around a strong conviction by the leadership is that they see a future of the Middle East where we promote the tolerance uh, in the region. And I think the region has seen a long history, or not a nice history, I would say, and uh, the future we think and we try to promote is very progressive future. So it's anchored around that principle. By the way, I had the pleasure of uh, interacting with, the, with the, our new friends, <laughs> the Israelis, and um, I, I, I led one of the big transactions where we acquired uh, almost 22% of uh, an interest in offshore gas field. And that gas field is very interesting because it is a, uh, an offshore gas field in Israel supplying the gas market to the gas market in for power generation in Israel, but supplying Jordan and supplying Egypt, and you have a UAE as an investor. So uh, it's called Tamar. Like, uh, I joked with my colleagues from Israel. I said, let's call it the peace, a peace <laughs> field. But it's, uh, it's interesting what, uh, what I think this relationship offers also 
a, uh, you know, two economies are driven by also focusing on technology. So I'm truly impressed with the startup ecosystem in Israel. And by the way, we're building similar ecosystem in Abu Dhabi. Uh, there is a place in Abu Dhabi called Hub 71. By the way, I've seen one or two Canadian startup companies choosing Hub 71 in Abu Dhabi as their destination. And, uh, and the same, we see a very functioning startup and technology ecosystem in, in Israel. I also see in many Israeli companies uh, moving to Dubai and uh, uh, some of them to get access to regional markets, to Asia. So it looks like the uh, agreement so far is very rewarding. And we hope to see more alignment in the Middle East where we focus on peace and tolerance. Curious about these 40,000 Canadians and, and what they're doing and uh, sort of how you've seen that Canadian presence evolve, um, sort of, I suppose, business-wise, investment-wise, um, so, and, and also forward-looking in the future. So where do you feel Canada and Canadians and how are they kind of contributing specifically? They're, out, they're playing a major role in the economy, uh, 40,000 Canadians, as you mentioned, but 200 Canadian companies. It's unbelievable also how UAE offers a, uh, a great platform for many Canadian companies uh, to do business in UAE, <coughs> but also to do business in the, in the region. And, uh, you know, everywhere you go, in any sector, you see our Canadian uh, friends, including in Adnoc, we have a lot of uh, bright, uh, smart Canadians working with us. And uh, I think because, as I mentioned earlier, technology and energy transition is going to be big themes. So two countries are focusing on these two mega trends. And I'm sure that there will be more and more uh, interaction and more, I would say, in exchange and investments from both sides on these two. And uh, But overall, they live uh, happy in the UAE, and we're glad to have them as our colleagues and uh, our uh, friends. And uh, I think based on the trajectory and the growth, I see more opportunities to come. And the UAE is a hub. Dubai is a hub. You know, it's a hub for uh, travel, obviously, uh, with uh, uh, whether you're going to uh, India or Africa. or So you, obviously, you're going to see a lot of Canadians and uh, who are going to be going there because it's, uh, it's what uh, we do. Ryan, I see John Stackhouse, who's here. You mentioned him earlier, wrote a fantastic book about expats. My daughter recommended the book to me. She said, do you know this guy Stackhouse? I said, no, I don't know him at all. I don't <laughs> she, she, she lives abroad. But it, it, this is the country that is going to be, and that's your ambition. I mean, mm -hmm. they've said, we want to be the hub. Mm -hmm. So uh, Canadians of all walks of life bring their expertise, their talent, and... Uh, so it's, it's very heartwarming when you go to the UAE to meet. And you can go to Tim Hortons in the UAE. You can uh, <laughs> uh, probably see other areas, by the way, in which we have a very active relationship is agri-food. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, with the end for the whole area. That is a major opportunity for Canada. Canada's brand in agri-food is very, anything to do with financials whether it's banks or funds. Ever since the Great Recession of 08-09, where Canada came out of it in very good shape, 
We were one of the countries. We were the country in the world that shined because our banks did not go under. We didn't have to finance them. We didn't have to. And then our, you know, one of our, we, we, it sort of happened by happenstance. But one of the branding of Canada and the world today is our pension funds, whether it's CPPIB, OMERS, teachers, PSP, Caisse de dépôt et de placement. And, and, and Brookfield, by the way, the first time I went to the uh, UAE, they, you know, people kept pointing to this building built by Brookfield. Yeah. So those are the areas in which Canada stands out, where we have a branding, we have a reputation uh, that we can, uh, we can leverage uh, by our presence in, the, uh, in that area. And the, our friends in the UAE ask nothing better than to be our partner in uh, investing in the whole region. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I was surprised when I, when I read that Canada is the largest merchandise exporter, but it, it's some of those other, um, you know, other aspects as well of export that you're talking about in terms of um, yeah. you know, financial investment and et cetera. Are there any other questions from the audience before we, uh, yeah. Mustafa. And, and maybe if you could just stand up and introduce yourself. You do, yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mustafa Shaheen, I'm currently with Edmonton Global. I was a past president of the Canada UAE Business Council, worked very closely with Jeffrey Steiner in the early days, so it's an honor to see how far this has come. Uh, I just wanted you to maybe give a comment on the recent announcement that our ambassadors worked very hard on a uh, relationship and association between the pension funds and the sovereign funds, and how you think that could further impact the bilateral trade and investments between the countries and the sectors where there, there could be the greatest opportunities. Well, thank you, Mustafa. I'll go first. What we're seeing as the, you know, the position of the pension funds evolve in the world, sovereign funds for certain countries, pension funds for Canada, is a lot more uh, uh, of these funds who are doing cross-investments. So Mubadala will invest with CPDQ or, uh, or Adia will invest with. And so that for us presents a major, major opportunity. And the world is not an easy place in which to go. You may have seen CPDQ recently was in the news who are retrenching from China. Uh, the geopolitics is going to uh, play a role in terms of your ability to be uh, present in certain markets. So this, these, this is a great partnering opportunity for us. We could not think of a better partner with whom to associate than, uh, than Mubadala or Adzia or GIC. And, and, and Mustafa, thank you also for what you've done. Also, Scott Jolliffe is with us today. He's the chair of the Canada Arab Council with whom we worked, and you put on an event last week. So there, our associations have a very close relationship also in, the, in that respect. So everyone, all hands on deck for the... But you know, you, you were at yeah. Mubadala. Yeah, I was uh, with Mubadala for 10 years. Until uh, they fired him and said... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 10 years, and uh, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, especially Mubadala, I think they were taking different approach, very progressive Sovereign Wealth Fund, focusing on, let me call them, slightly high risk, but very high reward sectors. So the, 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 the investments are focused on life sciences, technology, and now even part of it would be the energy transition. And what you see is in Canada, there is a very interesting technology ecosystem. When you look at the AI, the emergence of AI, and the fact that many Canadian startup companies are you know, uh, active in this space, that offers a very good uh, you know, 
uh, investment opportunities for sovereign wealth funds. Uh, in the life sciences, we also uh, we know that Canada is very very uh, active, and there will be an area of uh, of collaboration. But on the sovereign wealth fund, because I think the numbers are slightly misleading, what these sovereign wealth funds do, they invest in funds, and these funds invest in Canada. So on numbers, you don't see, for example, a UAE investments, but in reality, there is a lot of investments coming from the UAE and from the Middle East, potentially here in, in Canada, through big funds that we, we deal with. So uh, I think the role of uh, sovereign wealth funds like Mubadala is going to grow as well. We in ADNOC as well, very active in the uh, energy transition. So we're investing in technologies that will enable us to decarbonize our operation. So I think what we discussed this morning about SMRs is very relevant to us. We recently managed to connect all the ADNOC onshore and offshore production to the grid. We tap into nuclear and solar. And that entitles us now to be one of the lowest, if not the lowest, carbon footprint per barrel globally. And that trend will, will, will accelerate. But we need more, more of uh, SMRs, more of uh, uh, you know, solar energy. So yeah, I think the, the potential is huge. And I think I, I will see more and more uh, growth going forward. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we have time for one more question, if there is one. And, and if not, we may just uh, move into sort of maybe some closing comments. Um, Mr. Charest, would you like to, Jean, would you like to? Well, I want to focus on the COP28. COP yeah. The COP28 yeah. is happening end of uh, November, beginning of December. It is going to be a very, very important event for the world. And uh, I think it's fair to say that the one in Egypt did not deliver on expectations, and the expectations are now high because we are all committed, the UAE is committed to zero emissions, net zero emissions by 2050, as is Canada but we're facing the same challenges on the transition. And as, as someone said earlier today, it's not, transition is not about just you know, uh, flicking a switch. It's, uh, it is going to be a lot of work and for governments a great challenge. And a lot of that transition is gonna be, by the way, driven by industrial policy. The International Energy Agency put out a report last week. It was very interesting saying how much investment last year was in renewables huge amount of money, and 30% of the world's energy is now renewables. But the point they made that was the most fascinating is that notwithstanding the increase in interest rates, notwithstanding increased costs in building, which are going up rapidly, and notwithstanding the geopolitics and supply chains, the industrial policy was overwhelming, was driving investments. In other words, it is so important, whether it's the States, Canada, Europe right now. So on energy, we're in the right place at the right time. It's a, it, the idea is to seize the opportunity. And for a country the size of Canada is to decide who are we going to partner with? Who are we going to work with? Who is it that we can work with that will give us access to the world? Whether it's selling technology in parts of the world that may be less obvious for us. And I can't think of a better partner and a better friend than, uh, than the UAE. Thank you.
Mr. Akavi. Yeah, I just want to conclude also by uh, saying that COP28 is going to be a very important milestone and it's going to be COP for all and an inclusive COP. And I think everyone around the table, as we highlighted earlier, should play a role. Every carbon atom counts. So carbon capture should be part of the solution. Nuclear should be part of the solution. Solar should be part of the solution. And wind should be part of the solution. So I think if we are serious about the climate agenda, I think we need to embrace every technology, every methodology that will enable us to accelerate. So that's, I think, the COP is going to focus on delivery versus deliberation. I mean, we've talked a lot, we've talked a lot about climate agenda. It's time to deliver. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Well, thank you both for such a, such a frank and interesting discussion. I learned a lot, and I'm sure that everyone else did as well. I'll throw it back to Joe. Thank you so much, Sonia. Uh, Mr. Shrey, Mr. Elkabi, on behalf of Canadian Club, uh, the Canadian Club, our members and our guests, thank you so much for your frank and insightful remarks today. I had uh, three takeaways of my own. Um, first, that the common interests shared by Canada and the UAE are, are, are really indisputable, giving us much to build upon leading into COP28, as you said, Mr. Shrey. Um, second, that technology, be it nuclear, carbon capture, renewables, even fossil fuels are really the key enablers of a carbon neutral uh, future for, for our children and our grandchildren. And then number three, uh, and I think uh, this was said at the top, but I think really kind of set the stage for us that the foundation of shared values, such as tolerance, empowerment, progressivity, and diversity are, are really optimistic tenants upon which we can build a, a future as two great countries working together. So thank you so much to both of you, and thank you so much to you, Sonia, for your expert moderation of our conversation today. <laughs> Members and guests, as we conclude, I'd like to tell you about a few of our upcoming uh, in-person events that are, will serve as capstones to an incredibly successful 2022-2023 season here at the Canadian Club. Tomorrow, Tuesday, June 6th, the U.S. Ambassador to Canada, David L. Cohen, will join us in conversation with Rita Treicher from the Globe and Mail. And on the evening of Wednesday, June 7th, we celebrate P Pride Month in our annual Canadian Club Toronto Pride celebration as well. Please visit us online at canadianclub.org where you'll find out more about these events as well as others, uh, as well as ticket and membership options. Thank you very much, members and guests, for joining us today. I wish you a great afternoon and a great week. Thank you.